<coughs> Judges chapter 16. We are almost through with the book of Judges. And someone asked me on Sunday, where are we going after the book of Judges? I said, can't you just be content? We just started Ephesians on Sunday morning, and we're going through the books of the Bible Sunday night. I don't know what we're doing on Wednesday nights yet. And so we'll see about that coming up, and we'll see where the Lord leads. But tonight we're in Judges chapter 16, and we're going to continue on talking about Samson. Samson's kind of like a roller coaster ride just a little bit. And mostly we see... It's interesting as we read about him, most of the things that we read are all negative about him. The things when there's peace in his life and things are a little bit better, you see there, look at the last verse in chapter number um, 15. It says, And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. As we looked at that last week, we saw that after he had killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, that he was thirsty and thought he was going to die. He sought God and basically cried out about his dependence on God. First time you see Samson do anything like this in his life, and then we see in verse number 20 that he judged Israel and for 20 years. So there was a time, a gap, a time in between that time where things went very well for Samson. Samson was doing what was right. There was peace in Israel during that time. And then we get to chapter 16. So after a season of doing what's right, and these 20 years pass, the next thing that we see, chapter 16, verse number 1, then went Samson. So 20 years of peace is done. It's been about 20 years since he called on God and did what he did with the jawbone of the donkey. Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there an harlot and went in unto her. And it was told the Gazites, saying, Samson has come hither. And they compassed him in, and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city, and were quiet all the night, saying, In the morning, when is day, we, will, we shall kill him. And Samson lay till midnight, and arose at midnight, and took the doors of the gate of the city, and the two posts, and went away with them, bar and all, and put them upon his shoulders, and carried them up to the top of a hill that is before Hebron. So we go from last week, <clears throat> Samson realizing his dependence on God, and God working for him, and God doing these things, to where we see Samson goes right back to what he had done before. As we dive in tonight, we're going to get right into the Scripture. And uh, Johnny, can you do me a favor? Can you go downstairs and get me a bottle of water? I need, I need some water tonight. And uh, do, you probably need my keys, don't you? I'll give you those too. Here you go. All right, good job. And uh, at camp, I preached a couple times, led singing, yelled at a few teenagers a few times. All not because I was mad at anybody, but just to help them out because they, they couldn't hear me. They were right here and they couldn't hear me, so I had to speak a little louder so they could hear what I was saying. And uh, no, it wasn't like that. But So my voice a little worn out from all of that and my knees worn out. And, uh, but we're here tonight, and not much sleep the past couple nights, so if I say something that's a little off-center tonight, you think, what did Pastor just say? Just say, he needs to go to sleep, and he needs to get his knee working right, and everything will be good. Someone said you should sit down and preach tonight. One of the things that I do, I move when I preach, and the, one of the reasons why I move it is because, I do it because it's a nervous habit of mine. I get nervous when I 
speak in front of people. It's one of my things. So moving around gets me comfortable. So that's so if if someday God makes it so I can't walk very well and grounds me to a chair, I'll probably have to stop preaching because that's my that's my little thing that I go to <coughs> when I need it. But here, <coughs> here tonight we see and we look at this chapter. I want to give you several things as we look at these three verses. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll dive right on in tonight. Father, we're grateful for this Wednesday night to be gathered together. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for our church family, and that we gather together on this Wednesday night and look at your word. And thank you for this passage of Scripture. There's a lot here for us to dive into just in these three verses. Pray to help us pick up on what you have for us, and that you'd work in a great way. And just, we need you and we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. After Samson calls on God in humility and prays for God to deliver him and get him water like he needed, the story ends with Samson judging Israel for 20 years. And after that time, where there's not much written about that time, Samson once again goes back to what we had read about him doing over and over again in his life. Samson had a besetting sin. Samson had, you know, his Achilles heel. Women was his problem. Relationships he should not have, that was Samson's problem. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1, that we're supposed to, the Bible tells us, before seeing we also are comforted about with so great a cloud of witnesses. The Bible says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And each and every one of us, there are certain sins, there are certain things in our lives that are our besetting sins samson we can read and very quickly we see he had a problem with lust and he had a problem with women that was his issues and i'm sure he had more but those were that was his besetting sin because he kept going back to the same thing over and over and over again we each have those things that <clears throat> we might struggle with that the person sitting next to you tonight might not struggle with them as much but as we look here tonight as we dive in Maybe tonight, money is your problem. Or fame, or popularity, position, power. Maybe pride, maybe selfishness, maybe gossip, maybe anger. Who knows? There's a list of different things that could be. But whatever your besetting sin might be, if you're not able to conquer it, and even if you do conquer it with the help of the Holy Spirit, it can rear its ugly head again. Samson goes about 20 years without issues in this area, unless something's but it's very quiet about it here in Scripture. Which to me, if it's very quiet here, that means this was a very peaceful time. Because the Bible does something with Samson. It goes through and highlights all his failures. I'm glad God doesn't have a book about all my failures that all of us get to read. Because you'd be like, wow, he's a pastor too. But anyways, we look here tonight, and this passage reminds us of several things. There was a guy, Oscar Wilde, he was a British writer, known for his decadent lifestyle and, um, and taste for ungodliness. This is what he wrote. I can resist anything but temptation. The only way to get rid of temptation is to yield to it. And that's wrong. That was one of the problems with his life. And that seemed to be Samson's thing here. The temptation would come, and he could not stand against the temptation that he faced. This passage of Scripture should hold to us as a reminder of the great power that sin holds over us. Christ came and died to free us from sin. And the victory's been given over sin. 
problem is, how many Christians still live defeated lives in sin? It's because some of the things I'm going to give us tonight, it could help in this area. As long as we live, this flesh is here. And yes, praise God for the new man. <clears throat> when you get saved, you put on the new man. And praise God for that. But the old man is still there. I think sometimes people think they get saved and all the things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. But they can rear their ugly head. It's always there. It's like a cobra waiting to strike and fill us with its deadly venom. This passage is a reminder to us tonight to be vigilant and aware of sin's presence and not to give it power in our life. One moment of weakness can cause us to fall back into the sin that has troubled us in the past. This passage is very sad, and we see Samson is, in the next week or two, he's, his story is going to come to an end here. And we see failure and failure again. <coughs> but what a terrible way to conclude 20 successful years of peace by going back to what he used to do. That's why Christian is so important. The Bible talks about it. It says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. It says, neither give place to the devil. And all the devil wants is a little spot to work. If he can have a little spot, he's happy. Because Satan wants to do everything he can to undermine God. And at the end of the day, he wants to hurt God. That's what he wants to do. And if he can get God's children to fail and keep failing, that's what he wants to do. Tonight I want to give you some lessons tonight about Samson and the harlot. I want you to know some lessons that present themselves here and see what you can get tonight from this passage of Scripture. Number one, we see tonight Samson and his defilement. Samson and his defilement. Now, why did Samson go back to doing the things that he had no business doing? What led him to that? That gives us the point, or letter A. We see here it involved the wrong address. Look at where Samson went to. Now, if you notice with Samson, he had something for these Philistine ladies. I don't know what it was, but these Philistine ladies, that was what Samson had it for. And you see over and over again, it's the Philistine ladies. So where does he go? The Bible says in verse number 1, then went Samson to Gaza. Once again we see, and Gaza was a Philistine city located near the Mediterranean Sea. It was situated between a main road that allowed travel between Egypt, Babylon, <coughs> and Assyria. The name Gaza means strength. It was a Philistine stronghold. It was a place known for its wickedness and idolatry. And let me just say this, Gaza was no place for a man of God to be. Gaza was not the place for Samson to be spending his time. And then, you know, it doesn't matter, you think about this, it matters where you spend your time. If you consistently find yourself being surrounded by sin, or even in the places where you can be tempted by sin, you are setting yourself up for a fall. The Bible warns us about the places where we might be tempted to sin. Proverbs 4, verse 14 and 15, Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. I don't think you can make it any more clear than what the Bible does right here. The Bible says when it comes to these places, Enter not into the path of the wicked, go not in the way of evil men. It says avoid it, don't even pass by it. Turn from it, pass away. Go all the way out of the way 
to keep yourself clear of those things in your life. That's what the Bible is telling us here. We see that Samson, he went to the wrong address here. This was not the place he should have gone. And some people will question you as a Christian, say, why won't you go there? Why won't you do this? Why won't you do these things? And I want you to understand something. It's important to have boundaries set up in your life. It's important to have standards in your life. You say, well, why would I have a standard? Because the Bible gives you principles. And there are biblical principles found throughout the Bible. And your standard is what helps you keep the biblical principles that are there that God gives you. So we look at biblical principles. I believe, according to Scripture, that it's not right for a person to drink. You say, well, I don't know if I agree with that. The biblical principle I see, that's where I stand. So I'll tell you this. <clears throat> I don't hang out at the bar. That's my standard. I try as much as possible at the grocery store not to go down the liquor aisle. I like that Staters now changed it to where the liquor's all in one corner. I like that. I don't have to go get my Dr. Pepper down the same aisle that the liquor's sitting. The Bible says not to even look upon it in the book of Proverbs. Well, that's my standard to help me do what's right. Standards are a good thing, and people might question you, but let me just say something. You have a duty and you have a responsibility to protect yourself from temptation. And it's better to hear the scorn of a sinner than it is to be scarred by sin. If you're an alcoholic, guess what? Avoid the bars, avoid the liquor store, and avoid alcohol. If you're an addict to drugs, you should avoid the places where you get those things. Whatever, think about whatever, <coughs> think about whatever your struggle is. Say pornography is your struggle. Don't have a computer. But in this world, I have to have a computer. Okay, then have a computer that faces the whole room and everyone can see what you're looking at. Have no passwords on your computer. You say, well, I've done that and I can't help it. I still do it. Then throw the stupid machine away. You got an issue, avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it. Pass away. You have a problem with what you watch on television. Stop watching television. I had someone a while back there tell me, Pastor, I'm losing my marriage because we get in fights when I drink. <laughs> Duh! Stop drinking! That's all you need to do then! Is that that difficult? Sorry, I'm still in, I'm still in uh, camp mode just a little bit. So <clears throat> Wednesday nights, I don't normally raise my voice much, but I'm still stuck in that camp mode, so bear with me tonight. So well, I have a, my problem's gossip. Then be careful who you talk to on your phone, because you know who the gossips are. We all do. Be careful in those areas. The lesson we learn, and this is, did you have 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 8 back there? This, 2 Peter 2, verse number 28. Um, is this the right verse? Yeah, talking about Lot. On my notes, I have 2, verse number 8, but it's 2.28. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. It's talking about Lot. Remember Lot and Abraham? There's a feud between their herdsmen, and Abraham told Lot, you can pick wherever you want to go, and I'll go the other way. And Lot saw the well-watered plains of Sodom, and he wanted to go that way. And this is what the Bible says, that Lot pitched, he pitched his tent toward Sodom. Lot did not live in Sodom. 
And so he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And later on, the angels of God go to Sodom, and he's living in the city. These men see these angels come into town and want to have a, a sexual relationship with them. And what you hear come out of Lot's mouth is, Brethren, whoa, how do you go from being outside that city to where the wickedness was okay and even offering your daughters to these men? Because Lot never should have pitched his tent towards Sodom. Because the Bible says there, for that righteous man <coughs> dwelling among them and seeing and hearing, it vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. And Christian, it is important that you be very careful where you go. And people will mock you for it. They'd have, Why won't you go with me here? I can't. It's not a place a Christian goes. I'm trying to be careful and not do certain things. But Lot, look at the damage he did to his family and the high price he had to pay because he simply went places he shouldn't have gone. Samson in this passage of Scripture should not have gone to Gaza. He should have stayed clear of that place, but he went. Letter B, we see not only did it involve the wrong address, but involved the wrong attractions. It says there, then went Samson to Gaza, and look at what he did, and saw there an harlot. Samson always had eye trouble, and he still does. He cast his eyes on the wrong thing, and it led him into sin. You've got to understand something. If we don't guard our eyes, we will allow things into our mind that will cause us to be tempted. And it's possible, and what we've got to remember is, to be defiled by the things that we see. That's why you look around us today, there are lots of things and a lot of things in the devil's toolbox that are pointed. If, if you could just look at something, it sticks in your mind. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter number 5, Verse 28, the scripture tells by saying to you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. It's by looking. Think about this in the Bible. Think about men like Samson, Judah, David, Solomon were all led off into sin by the things they looked at with their eyes. And we need to guard our eyes and what they see. Bible gives us several verses in this area. Psalm 119, <clears throat> verse number 39. 37, the Bible says, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy way. And we should seek the Lord's help in helping us not look at vain things. Job said it in Job 31, verse 1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I look upon a maid? And men, I encourage you big time, Men have a problem with their eyes way more than women do. But I'll tell you this, ladies, more and more, ladies have problems with their eyes as well. But men, I love this verse. I made a covenant with mine eyes. The day I got married, I said that I, I, I had this woman to have and to hold, and she's my wife as long as I live. I made a covenant that day to keep only under her. I also made a covenant with myself that day that these eyes would not look at anybody but her. My eyes, and, thank, and she's pretty. I'm glad I get to look at her. <laughs> but that's the way it's supposed to be. We had in, uh, at camp, 
we had a couple of young ladies, one of them got in trouble for what they were wearing with one of the lay counselors. And the girl came to me and said, Pastor, you, you told me that I could wear what I wore at youth group. I said, well, I figured you didn't dress wrong at youth group. She's like, well, didn't you see? No. I, you know, and did you see what so-and-so wore on Sunday? No, I really didn't. I got eyes in one place right there. I can tell you what she wore on Sunday. I can tell you what she wore last Wednesday. I can tell you what she wore yesterday. I got eyes in one place. That's why, that's why ladies, you know, one of the things, you could, a good thing that would be good, and I believe that the older women should be teaching the younger women things. You see, you see a young lady or someone having an issue with certain things they wear, why don't you help instruct them on being modest in what they wear? That's not a bad idea. Ooh, that's a good idea, but let's get off of that. So I'm going to come to it with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? I tell you, I'm still in camp mode, and I'm sorry. Proverbs 4, verse 25 through 27. <clears throat> let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. When we allow the wrong images in the path of our eyes, it won't be long till they find their way to our heart. Which leads us now to letter C. We see that this involved the wrong address. It involved the wrong attractions. Letter C involved the wrong alliances. We're told here that Samson went in unto her. Samson's sin was not by accident. He was not a man merely taken over <coughs> by some snare of the devil. Samson was in the wrong place doing the wrong things, looking for the wrong things. And like all of us, and I can say this about Samson, guess who Samson's worst enemy was? Himself. My biggest issue in life is this guy right here. I look him in the mirror several times a day. I'm my biggest problem. <clears throat> if you're honest tonight, you are your biggest problem. Samson was Samson's biggest problem. When we play around with sin and tempt ourselves, we have no one to blame but ourselves. <clears throat> I know a couple of you are thinking to yourself, Pastor, why aren't you sucking on those cough drops? I had two people give me cough drops before the service. If I put a cough drop in my mouth, I can't concentrate on what I'm saying. I can't do two things at once. So I've got to cough a little bit so I can think. If I have a cough drop in there, I can't think. Some of you guys can do more than one thing at once, but not me. That's the way God designed me. So if you've got a problem with it, you can talk to him about it. Um, do you have James 1, 13 through 15? Look at these verses in the book of James. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Verse number 14 tells us, <clears throat> but every man is tempted when the devil comes along, right? No. Do you realize something? I think sometimes, and I hear Christians a lot of times, the devil's really attacking me and tempting me right now. Do you know one thing about Satan that a lot of Christians haven't been able to figure out? He can't be everywhere at once. God is the only one that can be everywhere at once. Now, Satan has all of his little minions and all of his little, you know, all these fallen angels. And there are seducing, there's all that stuff. But I'll tell you this, the Bible makes it very clear here, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. We see how it works. Samson got in some trouble here because I believe he got overconfident in himself. 
he had some time where everything went well. You want to know what probably happened during that time? He wasn't spending his time in Gaza. Christian, I see it over and over again. You know some of the biggest times that Christians fail? <clears throat> right after a victory in their life. Because we let our guard down. We think, whew, we made it! Be very careful. Don't let your guard down. He thought he could handle the pull of his flesh. And I want you to understand something. We cannot control our flesh. With the Holy Spirit, we can. But we cannot do it on our own. You think about Samson's sin because he allowed the wrong people to be around him. Do you know something? Get this. If Samson would have been with the people of God right at this time, he wouldn't have been with the harlot. There are many a Christian on a Wednesday night that do a lot of things that they shouldn't do. And guess what I could tell you? If they were at Bible study like they should be, they probably wouldn't be doing the things that they're doing. It's true. You cannot keep company with defiled people and not defile yourself. Proverbs 22, verse 24 and 25 says, Make no friendship with an angry man. and With a furious man thou shalt not go. Look at verse 25. Lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. A lot of times we think, I can be friends with so-and-so and I'm going to rub off. The good of me is going to rub off on them and I'm going to help them. It never happens. Never. Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. <clears throat> when we sin and we get tempted to sin, we've got to understand something is, we have no one to get upset with but ourselves. Because when we let that lust conceive inside of us, when we play out, when it plays out, that thought that you have. What were we supposed to do? The Bible talks about we're supposed to cast down every high thing that exalteth itself against the Lord. And so what happens is, let's say you have this thought. You have one of two choices. You're supposed to cast it down, and I think you understand what it means by casting down. Literally, throw it down. Get it out of there. When you keep it there and you let it seed a little bit, and then you, fall, then you do it, sin is there. We've got to be very careful. We see this with Samson. We see, number one, we see Samson and his defilement. Number two, we see Samson and his discovery. While he is keeping company with the harlot, his enemies discover that he's in town, and they set a trap to capture him. Samson thought that he could have a few minutes of pleasure and everything would be all right. He thought he would have his fun, leave town, and affect no one else. He never thought he would get caught. How many people think their sin, they sin and they just won't get caught? Just the past couple days dealing with a few teenagers and some secret things in their lives, every time, I didn't think anybody would find out. Do you not realize the God of heaven knows everything? He sees everything. He saw it when you did it. And the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. It will come out. It will come back to you. So I don't know how we get this idea, oh, I'm doing this privately, no one sees. No, people, are, it will happen. 
Your sin will come out. David thought no one knew what he did. God did. And when God knows, God reveals things. <clears throat> and, this, and the truth is, Satan uses our sin to set us up for a fall. And this passage, when we look at the Philistines and how they lay in wait to get um, Samson here, is a great picture of the way sin works in our lives and goes to attack us and bring us down. Let's look at how that works. So we see here, number two, we see Samson in his discovery letter A, something about sin's surrounding work. There's something about sin's surrounding work. When you sin, the Bible says here, verse number two, and it was told the Gazites, saying, Samson has come hither, and look what they did. And they compassed him in. It means that they surrounded him. They laid a trap for his capture. And this is the way that sin works. Some people criticize Christianity for being too restrictive. They complain that the way of God is no fun, leaves you with no freedom, and it allows no wiggle room. But what I want you to understand something. What a critic fails to see in all of it is, is the ways of God. A life lived according to the word of God is a life of true freedom where you're not in bondage to your sin. The way of the transgressor is hard. My yoke, Jesus said, it's easy. My burden, it's light. And yeah, you might look at Christianity and say, man, there's some things, there's these do's and don'ts, they're for your good. They are. As parents, you tell your kids, don't do this, don't do that. You're not doing it because you don't like them. Maybe you are, I don't know. You do it for their good. Sin is like a boa constrictor. <clears throat> it encircles the lives of its victims and solely squeezes the life right out of them. The freedom of sin, of the sinner, is stolen away by mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual toil. Disease, addictions, trauma, financial loss, ruined relationships, destroyed families, shattered trust, depression, and for some, incarceration, limit the freedom of living and bring destruction and pain. There is no freedom in sin. There's only slavery and bondage that comes with sin. We see here about sin, we see sound surround, sin surrounding work. They laid a trap for him, letter B, we see sin's steady work. Look at this, it says, and they compassed him in and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city. They were patient as they waited for him to leave the harlot's house. They were not worried about how long it took because time was on their side. They had their enemy surrounded. Sin is also patient in the way it works. It will play its cards close to the vest until the sinner is hopelessly entangled in its web. The sinner doesn't always feel the trap closing in around them, but then all of a sudden, the trap door sets, and you get trapped by it. It will spring a trap and destroy the life of the victim. This world makes sin look good. You know, look at all the funny commercials on TV. They're all the beer commercials. And you can live the high life. 
And we are, and, and we talk about in the past couple of weeks the shootings and things going on. And we say guns need to be regulated, people say. How about all the alcohol abuse and the people who die by drunk drivers? I think if you were to add up all the drunk involved deaths this year, I think it might be a little higher. So take the alcohol away. Oh no, people should, you know, that's, think about that. Someone drinks and gets behind the wheel of a car, let them never drive again. Forfeit that right. It used to be, you know, you smoke a cigarette, it looks so wonderful and everybody does it. And now you see those commercials with people with those holes in their throat still sticking their cigarette in there. Sin looks good for a while. Oh, having relationships and doing things that are ungodly in God's eyes. Talk to the person with AIDS and see how wonderful it is. Sin is patient. And there's an awful price to be paid because God's not deceived and whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. We see sin. We see sin's surrounding work. We see sin's um, steady work. We see letter C. We see sin's silent work. They were quiet all night long. Samson had no clue that they were waiting for him there. And such is how it is with the nature of sin. Sin leads the sinner to believe that there's no consequences for sin. But the wages of sin has always been death. Always. Advertisers will tell us that alcohol use is tremendous fun. Commercials about medicine to help you not get AIDS based on the fornication you commit and doing having relationships that God would not have anybody want to have, that it's all okay. And it's not. There are lots, let me just tell you something, sin never tells the truth. Sin never tells you about the ruined health, the empty wallet, the destroyed lives, the ruined marriages, the broken homes, the shattered dreams, and the wasted years it leaves in its wake. Sin's deceitful, we must take every step necessary to avoid it. If a sinner could just realize what is waiting for them based on their actions, they would never take that first step on the journey. We see sin also, the slaying work of sin. We see, letter D is the slaying work. The Philistines said, when it is day, look there at the end of verse number two, <clears throat> we shall kill him. Death was their plan for Samson. The Philistines laid their trap and they planned to capture and kill him. Sin is destructive. You cannot run from the consequences of sin. Sin, when it is finished, as we read in James, it brings forth death. And I already said the wages of sin is death. And well, I want you to understand something. It might not take your physical life, but let me just say this. Sin kills joy in your life. Sin kills peace in your life. Sin kills relationships, marriages, hopes. Sin kills churches and even the human spirit. 
Sin kills everything it touches, and no one escapes from it. Sin is what killed our Savior. Not his sin, our sin. But I want you to understand something. I praise God that there's victory in Jesus Christ. I'm glad that he can deliver a sinner from a life of sin and give a new life to him. I'm glad that we can confess our sins and that he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we could live out, do you have Romans 6, verse 11 through 14? Take your Bibles with that real quick. <clears throat> We're only on point number two. We aren't even on point number three yet. We'll get there in just a minute. Go to Romans chapter number six. I would take these verses and I would memorize these verses and get them ingrained in you. And these verses are very important for the Christian life. Romans chapter six, and look down with me at verse number 11. It says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. Reckon yourselves dead to sin. <coughs> If we could learn to live out Romans 6, 11 through 14, we wouldn't have to use 1 John 1, 9 as much as we do. Which leads us, we see Samson and his defilement, we see Samson and his discovery, which leads us to our last point. You go back to our text in um, Judges chapter 16, we see Samson and his deliverance. Now this is pretty, this is pretty amazing right here. Look at verse number three. And Samson lay till midday, I mean till midnight, and arose at midnight, and took the doors of the gate of the city, and the two posts, and went away with them, bar and all, and carried them upon his shoulders, and carried them up to the top of an hill that is before Hebron. Think about this. The Philistines laid a trap, and he was surrounded. They're determined to capture him and kill him. And if it were not for God's intervention here, Samson would have died here. Now, something I want you to understand. We're going to see later on that Samson gets with another woman named Delilah. And Samson cuts his hair. His strength leaves him. And we see Samson get to the end of his life and his life gone. And God doesn't deliver him that time. I think sometimes we get the idea God will always deliver us out of the trouble we get ourselves into. And he does deliver us. But sometimes he's not going to deliver you the way you think. You know, one of the reasons why I would say that God took Samson when he did was because Samson was not going to be of any more use to God here. So he took him out before he could do more damage. Sometimes we think with sin we can get away with it and God will always fix everything for us. And a lot of times God does, but there comes times when he doesn't. There's a point where his mercy and grace says, all right, I'm done. He still loves you. He will never forsake you. He'll never leave you. But it runs dry. We see Samson in his deliverance. In letter A, we see the power of his deliverance. 
<coughs> when Samson awoke, he got up and went out and took the gates of the city and carried them to the top of a hill. Now, when we think of a gate, we think we go out to our little wrought iron fence here and, whoo, break off a piece in that little 30-pound. You take a 30-pound piece of wrought iron and carry it to the top of a hill and see how well you do. Take a piece of 30, just a, just a piece of wrought iron, probably about 20, 30 pounds, and carry it up Mount Rubido and see if you get all the way up there holding that. That's not how the cities were back in those days. These walls were massive. This is crazy to think about this. <coughs> you think through history of those that have lifted and the, the strength that people have had. There's a guy in 1957, Paul Anderson, lifted a table of lead loaded with auto parts that weighed 6,270 pounds. But even the strongest man we can think of, and whatever they lifted, and if they're in the Guinness Book of World Records, or whatever the case may be, pales in comparison to what Samson did here. Samson literally rips the gate off the hinges and takes the posts with him, puts them over his head, and carries them 38 miles uphill. Think about that one. The weight would have been thousands of pounds for a city gate. We're not talking about a private gate. This was the gate to keep people out of the city. And Samson rips the posts out and carries it, and why did, I don't know why he needed to carry it 38 miles. To me, uh, boom, throw it down and walk on. Why do you need to carry it 38 miles with you? Ask Samson that someday. <clears throat> I don't quite get it. Think about it. He had an amazing display of strength that doesn't make up for the weakness of his morals. Regardless of how the outside looks, the inside is very important. Samson didn't sin because he was physically strong. He sinned because he was morally weak. He sinned because sin was in his heart. He cherished it and allowed it to dominate his life. And the same thing can happen to us. <clears throat> we see the power of his deliverance, and that's just crazy to think about lifting that up and what he did there, and then let her be. We see the pardon of his deliverance. Samson's deliverance was the grace of God in his life. Samson deserved to be caught by the enemy. He deserved judgment. He deserved chastisement for his actions. It was the grace of God that allowed him to get out of there. It was the grace of God that allowed him to get away from that sinful situation alive and in one piece. And this wasn't the first time that God had pardoned him and given him grace. And let me just say tonight, God does the same thing for us. We all fail, often. But God is gracious to us. He's merciful to us. Why is God merciful and gracious to us? He allows us an opportunity to turn from our sin and get back to him. And he gives us chance after chance after chance. And thank God for his mercy. But we see in the life of Samson that God's mercy runs out. He was guilty of what Jude verse number 4 talks about where it says turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. 
God is merciful to us, and He allows us to turn back to Him time and time again. But there is a limit to His leniency with His children. And only God decides when that is, not you or I. You might say, you've got to understand, you cannot treat God like a doormat and expect to get away with it forever. It doesn't work that way. Say, well, I've done it before, and then I repent, and nothing's ever happened to me. Chances are there'll come a day where God will teach you a lesson, and that's up to God. If Samson teaches us anything, he teaches us the truth that we must guard our hearts. We must shield ourselves from evil influences that would lead us away from God. Watch the places you go. Watch the things you give attention to. Watch the people you associate with. If sin is allowed to sink its fangs in your life, it will choke the very life out of you. And it won't stop till it destroys everything you love. The time to kill the serpent of sin is now. Now's the time to be careful what you do and not let the lust inside conceive and bring forth sin in your life. A lot of great lessons here. And if we would, as it said there in Romans chapter number 6, reckon ourselves dead to sin, it would help us so much. He's freed us from sin. He has. And that promise, yes, that's for all eternity, but that's also for today. He's given us victory. There is victory in Christ Jesus. The flesh does not have to win. But who we yield ourselves to really matters. That's why we're supposed to walk in the Spirit and will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Father, thank you for the time that we've had this evening. For the truths that are found in your word, thank you for your love for us. And I pray that you bless our few closing minutes here. We love you. <clears throat> in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.